And now I guess he feels a little bit emboldened. He must be careful with what he says. I think we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard. Uh, racism is essentially a white problem. For you to understand what racism is about, you're going to be so uncomfortable. As Christians, we love the homosexual and the transgender. Homosexuality is sin. You know, everybody's like, you taught that from school, everywhere. Big business, you want to be successful, you want to be like Trump. Gimme, 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 push, 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 push. Step, 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 crush, crush, crush. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins. Faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White Hodge. All right, Profane Faith fam, here we are, here we are. Hoo-wee. Um, there's almost too much stuff uh going on to even uh begin to comment on. Oh my goodness. Um, well, let's start at the top. Hopefully you enjoyed uh our last episode uh dealing with white appropriation and um just uh you know how so much of black culture is stolen. Um and you know, specifically we were dealing with uh Bad and Bougie, the book that was recalled. A whipping stock uh, by Dr. Jen Buck. And uh, yeah, just going in on that. So if you haven't heard it, um, highly recommend going and checking that out. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on. And, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to wrap the head around certain things. Um, if you were expecting a, an episode on, you know, like gun issues and gun control, I've recorded a whole bunch of these, actually. <laughs> um, so I'll put those in the show notes. If you haven't gone to uh, whitehodgepodcasts.com and clicked on Profane Faith, there's always good show notes in there. You should check them out. Um, yeah, you can go there and I'll you can listen to past episodes. I've had a a number of people on the show talking about, you know, different, you know, opinions and ideations around, um, you know, guns and, you know, violence, particularly, you know, as we think about, you know, yet another school shooting happening uh, here. And, you know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm not surprised by any means. Uh, and in fact, I see it now as regular um, as a standard because nothing's getting done. And here's the thing. I am. I, I am for arming ourselves as black people. I am for arming ourselves as POCs. Um, I am, you know, I'm like 50-50 <laughs> on the whole non-violent violent thing. Um, I think self-defense is a whole nother thing. I I think uh, the, the, the components of that, um, that's a whole different argument in terms of what is happening here in our country. Um, because what we're dealing with is an ideological problem. Um, and the reality of it is, is that ideology is embedded deep 
within somebody's psyche okay um that's not something that's just easily overdone and you know you can just present some facts to somebody it's like trying to convince somebody that right uh, 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 you know, there is no God, or why do you, you know, you know, worship the way you do? It's like trying to, you know, uh, to convince any extremist, right? Um, to not blow something up or to not shoot somebody. Uh, there's, there, it, it, ideology runs deep, uh, and it is a powerful form of, of, of power and control, and also the motivation for people's behavior. Um, and no law, right, uh, is ever going to institutionalize morality and ethics uh and ideology for that matter um you know and i know some of you can be like well Dad, i don't know about that but let's break this down if 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 laws were the the cure to this um racism had been ended you know after 1964 right you know title nine or title four excuse me you know apply uh, it's passed voting rights act Oh, we're done with racism, right? We got blacks, the fair treatment that they needed, um, and we're good to go. We're good to go. We don't have to worry about this anymore. It's not a problem. In fact, what most laws do is uh, actually conjure up creativity uh, to try to get out of those laws and to try to overcome and get around and find loopholes for those laws. Um, and I get the law that laws can breed ideology for you philosophers in the, you know, in the audience. Uh, I get that laws can create a sense of supremacy, right? When we think about white supremacy. Um, I recently came across a couple of different articles. One, I think, was published back in 2005 in New York Times. Uh, was uh, was a ruling. There was another one in 2014 as well. But both of these articles was ruling by the, the Supreme Court, okay? <laughs> Our highest court in the land, so to speak, uh, allegedly, right? Um, but it was talking about, basically, police have no legal boundaries or legal... They're not bound to by law to defend anyone. Which blew my mind, right? I, you know, because there's a couple of, you know, folks I follow on Instagram and they have posted it. And as I recommend for anyone, anytime you see something, you know, before you retweet or anything, go check it out. Because there's a lot of fake shit out there. A lot of fake shit. A lot of shit that's out there that is, um, you know, there, yeah. I mean, just from Russia alone. I mean, there are people that that is their job. 10 hours a day is just to put fake shit out and to make it look real. Um, so I went and looked it up and, you know, looked, searched for the original article and, you know, and did a little background check. And both of them are rulings on specific cases. I, th I believe one of them was uh, a case where people were, you know, one of them was, was actually with Sandy Hook that came down. One of the parents tried to sue the police for not taking more action. And the, the ruling, one of the rulings came down and said, hey, you know, police aren't bound by law to, to, to protect you. <laughs> they, they don't have to risk their lives. You know what I'm saying? Uh, which, right, that gets into all kind of conversations right around what is the purpose of the police? Um, and, you know, if you've been following this show long enough, I've talked about this many old times. I will not repeat myself. That's why you got to go back and listen to some of these episodes, especially if you this is your first time and, you know, you're just checking this out and, you know, you saw the heathen queen. You're like, I got to see what what's going on over here. Go check out some previous episodes. Like I said, I'll put all those in the show notes. Um but police man you know their 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 entire construct uh is to protect the state and to protect uh money protect hierarchy protect uh you know whiteness white owned property 
Um, and uh, and this has been well documented. Again, go check out some of these things, uh, some of these episodes that I put out. I've got resources on that. And particularly when you start, just do a basic search on what is the purpose of law enforcement. Um, and I know a lot of people, right? This is kind of like a halo ground for so many people, right? Because we've been taught since we were in grade school, right? That heroes, right? Firemen, policemen, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, none of them places you see an activist or you see somebody, maybe if you see anybody black, it's gonna be Martin Luther King, right? But that nigga dead, right? So it's just funny, man, because, you know, we've been conditioned, right, to, to believe that uh the popo is our friend and that you know they're here to protect and serve and they're here to uh you know uh, uh create a a sense of of peace and safety right you think about it, a justice of the peace um that's anything but the truth um and i get that there's some great police officers out there i get that there's some some folks trying to make it right and trying to to, to do the right thing uh but by and large it is a system of corruption it is a system um that is you know wedged around you know brutal aspects of violence and so it's not about more police training it's not about i mean this is part of what you know people mean and myself included when we say defund the police it's not about um taking away right aspects of safety because we already know if if safety is the goal we already know black folk poor folks we're the canary in the mine we're going to be the first ones you know that have to face that um but, you know, you think about the shooting in uh, Uvalde, Texas, which I know that place actually very well. Um, and when I lived in Texas, um, we used to play them in football every now and then. Every now and then when we made it into the playoffs, you know, we would play them. So I know Uvalde. It's, a, I don't know, about 15,000 people that live there. It's not that big of a town. Um, but I also understand that, you know, Texas has a history of this type of mentality. There, there are more shooters in Texas. Don't. And, and that's the thing is that we keep putting kind of trying to lump this into like this lone wolf and this this this, uh, you know, this sense of, uh, uh, you know, it's one act. It's one off. You know, you know, and the dumbass governor of, of, of Texas was trying to blame it on mental health. Right. I'm like, um, you know, and then all the BS that comes out with that. Oh, it's the rap music. Oh, it's the, the culture that we live in. Oh, it's those video games. You know, it's all that shit that's deflecting, which off of the real thing is, is, you know, how then do we look at engaging this? I mean, think about this, right? I mean, after 9-11, right, the U.S. was just, yeah, it was, excuse me, it was just running scared. Um, and... A whole bunch of laws got passed, right? And uh, one of the ones that we're still dealing with now, these no-knock seizures, um, you know, uh, was around. And we were also, you know, told that, you know, we can no longer go to the, you know, the airport gate. Now we have to only ticketed passengers, right? And now we got a brand new thing as of 2001, you know, TSA, that never existed, but, you know, uh, prior to that. Um, you know, Transportation Safety Administration, uh, you know, prior to that, you know, there were just airport police and now we have a whole structure, you know, underneath that. So one major event where a lot of people were killed and we're just like, all right, the way we do planes and the way we do airlines, we, you know, this is, we're going to redo that. Um, you think, I think about Tylenol back in the day, um, you know, this is when I was a kid, you know, there was a case of cyanide. Somebody was able to basically get into, um, one of the containers in a, in a pharmacy because, you know, this is. 
again, some of you may not be old enough to remember, but you know, you used to be able to go and 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 open up, you know, or or just open pill containers real easily. Uh, all that child-proof safety, that was a result off of what happened with Tylenol. Tylenol was laced with cyanide. Um, this was back in the early 80s. And, um, you know, after that, laws were passed. Like, no, we got to make this thing, like, difficult. You need, like, the jaws of life to open that motherfucking shit, right? <laughs> so, um, we know how to act when it comes to certain things. But there is an ideological love um, around the notion of what guns are. Um, you know, and how we view all the things, right? Heteronormativity, uh, masculinity, um, the notion and the culture around safety. Uh, Barry Glasser's work uh, touches in here as well. You know, the culture of fear, you know, and how fear, you know, mongers, you know, you know, around us and stuff like that. And some of that is, is, and there is some validity to that. I mean, as a black man, I am thinking twice about where i enter into stores is like i go to a restaurant i want to know what exits where they at how can i escape quick you know what i'm saying i mean so these are some of the things i think about as a black man walking around when there's a target on my back all the time all the time and i'm not just trying to be superfluous about that i i literally mean that um and i don't necessarily feel i mean i feel better being in the city but i don't necessarily feel safer uh, in the city because this shit I mean think about the shooter in Buffalo right this motherfucker came in and like he basically you know uh case the joint you know what time the security officers come what time people come in where are they at right and so this is the type of visceral hate that is out there right now um and you know some of it makes the news like the Buffalo shooting but this this shit's been going on man this just been going on. I mean, I, I remember the, the year Obama was elected um, and, you know, it was like within like six months, you know, hate crimes against black folks had you know, like tripled, quadrupled. By the time you get 2009, it's just like, you know, it was just, it, you know, the stuff just, you know, shit just increased. So it's, it's interesting to see where, you know, where we might be headed. And I'm no futurologist um, and I don't want to make any predictions. It's fascinating where we find ourselves, but I am not surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that politicians are, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> when you get Biden up there talking about what in God's name is going to make us have like, motherfucker, you the leader of the free world. Like, you know, you could do something. Shit. Um, you know, I mean, and you know, and I think about, you know, again, Roe v. Wade and I think about, you know, women's right to choose um, and how that is essentially being taken away um and it it is it's it's like i said there's there's a lot there's a lot and it brings on a sense of angst because again you know at the end of the day as a black person as, uh, as a, 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 people who are poor you are going to be the first ones that receive anything anything that comes down the line y'all are the canary in the mine we are the canary in the mine um and we're going to be the ones that get hit first and then everybody's going to you know react to it school shootings I was a part of a whole bunch of school shootings. It wasn't wasn't shit because I went to a black school. And so that was just considered y'all are barbarians anyway. So, you know, but oh, my God, you know, Columbine. Like, oh, my God, this is horrible. Oh. But I will say the school shootings that I experienced as a kid um, weren't mass killings. They were it was directive. Uh, in other words, I'm coming after these niggas right over here because I can't stand them. This motherfucker over here owe me money, <laughs> right? This this fool over here was talking shit about my girl or this fool over here was talking shit about my family. Um, so there was a directive. And yes, you get idiots that 
you know, didn't know how to handle guns. So it's just like you come up with, you know, this is back in the 80s and shit, man. You know, you come out with a Mac 10 and, you know, you got 30 rounds in there and, you know, cat empties that thing in like, you know, 20 seconds and stuff. And so, of course, there's going to be other people hit by that. Um, but the idea and notion of coming in specifically targeting teachers and stuff, man, that this that's the shit right there that I'm saying that. Yeah, stricter gun laws could help. They could help. And I, and you know, I'm reading some of the research around that and, and, and what that, you know, what that says. And I get some people from Canada are, are talking about that. And I'm trying to make sense of what what those actually mean, because the U.S. is a culture of violence. We are rooted in violence. There is a spirit of violence that exists here. There's a spirit of death that exists here in this country specifically, um, you know, from its foundation. You know, uh, because think about how hard, you know, those on the right are working to remove critical race theory, to remove anything that resembles uh, the truth about the history of this country. Right. But when it comes to, you know, shit like this, guns and kids getting killed, man, I need to tell you everything right there. So I'm past trying to be like, oh, man, let's get rid of more guns. And what I'm like, man, nigga, shit. Anytime you pass heavy gun laws, the people in effects are usually the black folk. And I'm just keeping it 100. Um, I don't want to have to be armed. I don't want to have to be to have those things. But the society in which we find ourselves in, the time that we find ourselves in, um, really precludes me to, 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 to do something, to have something in place. Um, you can't just, you know, willy nilly things. And so these are some things that I, you know, think about when people start you know harping on like oh we just need to get rid of the guns you know we just need to you know this is a gun issue and stuff it's like sure if you have an access to that i get that i'm 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 on that train of thought to to a certain point but so much of this is ideological this is deep within like man i got bullied i was hurt and rather than me dealing with shit like a grown-up and going to a therapist and dealing with shit right and getting and, you know getting on some medication i'm about to go take this shit out on some people and i know i know that shooter in in texas i knew a lot of cats who were that way okay um there was the sense that you know and guns were plentiful texas just it's a whole nother place it's a whole nother country literally um those of you from texas already know what i'm talking about and those of you who are not it literally is it is um, there is a sense of love and admiration, um, for that, you know, it's like, think about remember the Alamo, you know, it's just like, well, you know, who was in the Alamo? You know, people didn't t talk about that shit. It's like, you know, think about, you know, people who were rapists and killers and, and people who would, you know, skin, uh, people of color alive, you know, and leave them out for dead. You know, those motherfuckers, Davy Crockett, Jim Bowie, all those fuckers, it was in the, in the Alamo. So once I started reading the history of Texas, it was like when they, you know, this is like when the, the, the Mexican army invaded, you know, the Alamo It's kind of like, well, good shit. Take those motherfuckers out. Right. Um, but there's a history of blood, uh, in that country and, or uh, the country of Texas. And so, um, you know, it's a whole nother, you know, a whole nother thing over there. And again, you know, we're dealing with the U S um, and I'm not to say that, you know, there's other countries that are doing it better. Um, I mean, Canada's got blood on its hands. Damn near every uh, continent country uh, has blood on their hands and what they've taken from, from, from people of color. Um, so 
there's a lot to reckon with. There's a lot. And I know that, you know, a podcast, me talking for 15 minutes isn't going to solve anything other than you probably came here to hear um, the He the Queen, uh, which I'm about to get to here in a second. Um, or you wanted like, well, what does Dan think? And I was like, well, this is what I think. Um, I don't think it's going to be solved by, by more laws. I don't think it's going to be solved by taking more guns off the street. Um, uh, this is much deeper than just that. It, it may pull back on some things. It may... Um, you know, I, I, you know, I saw the New York Times heading where, you know, went down that, you know, each of these guns were purchased legally and all that stuff like that. I do think there should be a waiting period. I do think, you know, an 18 year old probably shouldn't have access to an AR-15, right? And we think about, you know, um, uh, you know, we, we, we want young people to be at least 21 to drink and 25 to rent a car. Um, I think there should be some more guidelines in place for that. I do think there should be some, you know, deeper uh, background checks. But again, I even think about that, those background checks, it's like, how would a a a white run system look at somebody like me purchasing a gun uh who has a history of depression right that that shit's clinically in there like my therapist right is like that that shit would be open right um what would they say then oh mm -mm, no mm, no no can't can't own anything um and there's you know it's it's like you know prohibition with alcohol and stuff it's like did that do anything no it didn't. It just forced people underground, um, and uh, it, it and it and it created a sense of of um, thievery and um, you know trying to, to, to the, the culture of the outlaw, which is a whole nother segment we can get into. You know, but you know the U.S. loves the outlaw. Well, I should say the U.S. loves white outlaws, right? We love our Italian mobsters. We love our Sicilian gangsters. We love we love that shit, right? Now, we don't want to talk about gang members in L.A., but when it comes to, you know, motherfuckers getting shot up, you know, you think about the Valentine's Massacre, all that shit, that shit makes movies. That shit is, is, is popularized in the, you know, American pantheon, right? So, again, we're a culture of violence. Um, and, you know, nobody's over in fucking Ukraine telling them, hey, hey, hey. Why don't y'all just work this out? Put the guns down. Fuck no, they ain't telling people that shit. Motherfucker, we gonna send you uh, maybe 30, 40 billion more dollars, you know, to help y'all motherfuckers out. <laughs> so I don't wanna hear it. I don't wanna hear it. It's a complex problem. It is a complex problem. And I've talked to a few people this last week who were just like, look, I'm a parent. I don't even know what to do, but I don't wanna homeschool. <sighs> so here we are, fam. Here we are. Well, let me get to it. Um, check the show notes out for other episodes. Um, eh, I, I am dealing with, uh, uh, I'm dealing with, I'm engaging with the heathen queen this week. I was so glad to meet her. Uh, she goes by queen of the heathens on TikTok. Um, she also has a Patreon as well. Uh, I met her through actually uh, queen of the heathens on Twitter um, and, uh, she just goes after a lot of the bullshit. And I was like, I gotta have you on the show, reached out, she responded. And here we are. Um, she's, uh, in, in her own kind of breakdown of, you know, what she posted on Twitter. She says, I was an uh, evangelical Christian for almost 20 years. My path out was research. I live for people. Uh, uh I live for when people tell me, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm actually a pretty kind person, but I treat bigots the way they treat everyone else. Uh, I'm a Taurus sun, Virgo moon, Aries rising. And if you know me, this makes a lot of sense. Enneagram five, wing six, the troubleshooter. If you're not into this stuff, I don't care. 
<laughs> um, uh, she has two degrees, uh, the first in economics and the second in political science. Graduated magna cum laude in both. Um, and uh, she also has background in theology as well. So she's a very smart woman. And um, I was glad to get her on the show. And we recorded this prior to all this craziness and the shootings and everything happening. Uh, so there isn't, isn't any mention of that, although I believe there was some stuff in there about abortion and whatnot. But uh, it's her story, you know, in regards to where she came from. And just uh, if you don't follow her already, I mean, she just goes, she just, she's not afraid to get in there. I, I, I am, I am impressed uh, that she's able to just, you know, hang in there with some of these idiots. Cause there's a lot of idiots. There's a lot. It's just like an eternal wave of idiots, especially in places like Twitter. Uh, so I was excited to bring her on and excited to have her on the show and just to talk a little bit about race and gender theology and, uh, where racism really has fucked everything up. So <laughs> enjoy this conversation and let's keep uh holla back at your boy. You know, if you got solutions and thoughts, and, you know, I'll say this before I sign out. So much of, of a solutions have already been written about um, and documented about, you know, over the past 50, 60 years. People just don't want to put those things into play. Um, so I don't even know. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, I got this great idea. I, you probably do. But the reality of it is, is that the people who can actually change stuff ain't doing it. You see what I'm saying? Crazy shit. Anyways, enjoy this conversation. We broke it down. That's even better. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, uh, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today uh, on Profane Faith. Uh, it's great to finally have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, my goodness. Well, I start by asking everybody the first question. What has been happening from birth to now? What has what has made uh, right the heathen queen into, you know, <laughs> and I love your handle even here, the unholy trinity. That's oh, yeah. uh, that's <laughs> awesome. I love everything about that. That's my uh, YouTube show with a couple of friends where our sort of tagline is uh, come for the gospel, stay for the gossip. Um, and yeah, so that's how that came about. Um, let's see what has made the heathen queen, the heathen queen. Lots of childhood trauma. Mm. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Dark humor. No, yes, um, yes. <laughs> I grew up in the evangelical church uh, from the time that I was probably about, I want to say seven or so. Okay. And when I say grew up in it, I was living in that church, went to Christian school, went to youth group, went to mission trips, had Bible study in my house. Like I lived at that church building. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. Um, and I growing up wanted to be a missionary, which like just what, the world needs another white missionary. Um, <laughs> but like, that's what you're taught, right? Growing up in the churches, yeah. that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't even, I don't even think I wanted to just be a missionary. I wanted to be a missionary's wife, you know? Oh, okay. uh, because that's what women do. You have to get married um, and support your husband. So <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> that's right. Um, we'll skip over a lot of the, the sort of, family dynamics, but suffice to say that there was a lot of not good stuff going on. Mm -hmm. um, and then as I got older, probably about 18, 19, um, I moved away, but 
that I still sort of held these evangelical beliefs. Um, I just wasn't quite practicing them. And then I would later come back to the church and <clears throat> I'm so sorry. No, get it. Uh, it's allergy season. Shoot. I know that. I know. Okay. I'd come back to the church um, after my partner committed suicide. Oh, Lord. Uh, yeah, not a lot of graceful ways to ease into Ooh. that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, and I had been taught, like, hey, God will meet you in your darkest hour, right? Like, when you are totally down and out, that's where God will meet you. And part of my issue growing up was that I never felt an emotional connection with God. Okay. Um, I never felt the way I thought I was supposed to feel, especially growing up in a church that's very charismatic. And everybody is feeling and speaking in tongues and crying and talking about this, like, you know, presence of God and the love and la 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 la. And I was like, okay, Um, because (laughs) I never felt that. So I was like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Um, So anyway, I thought, okay, for sure, for sure, God will meet me now because this is certainly the lowest point of my life thus far. Mm. Um. And so I went, I don't, still don't know why I did this 100%, but I decided, you know what, I'll show God how serious I am. And I'm going to go on a missions trip while I'm severely depressed. Um, <laughs> good yeah, plan. Yeah. Um, so I actually went to YWAM, Youth of the Mission. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I know YWAM. went over to Europe for their little, like, Bible school type thing. It's like a three month. And then the other part is you go on a missions trip. We went to Ireland. <laughs> so, uh, which Ireland's cool. Would love to go back. 10 out of 10, zero out of 10 on the proselytizing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so while I was there, I, you know, spoiler alert, did not feel anything from God. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I came home and the other thing that the church had taught me growing up was that you're, you can't trust your feelings and emotions right. aren't, aren't accurate reflections of reality. And so you need to have faith in the word of God, regardless of how you feel about it. And I struggled with that for a long time because mm. you're, I'm looking at all of the people around me having these very emotional experiences. I am living in an incredibly abusive, chaotic environment as a child and still not feeling anything from God. And then I try again after I lose my partner and I still don't feel anything. And so, and I talked to people about this a lot and they would say like, you know, we just, God's ways are higher than ours. Like there, there'll be a greater purpose. Like we don't know it, but you'll, you know, you'll see one day. Um, <laughs> right. Like, all right, buddy. Um, And so I I thought to myself, okay, if I can't feel God, um, then I'm going to do everything I can to research and study the Bible. And if I can not prove the Bible, but if I can find the Bible historically reliable on the points that aren't supernatural, right? So the Exodus, the conquest, um, Paul, Jesus, all of these people mm-hmm. or all of these people and things, then I will just trust that the Bible is accurate about the spiritual stuff, right? Or the supernatural stuff that I can't prove. Yeah. Who? 
Uh, and that is how I deconverted. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> and here's the thing, right? If you grow up fundamentalist, mm-hmm. that is integral to your faith. Absolutely. Like you, as soon as you pull up one thread, yes. like it starts to unravel yes. because they teach you that the Bible is this inerrant historical document and it's not, and it's not even meant to be. Um, and that's something I've learned because I actually love the Bible and I yeah. find it really fascinating. Mm-hmm. But I, the way that I read it now is vastly different than the way I read it in the church. Yes. Right. Because now I'm not sitting there thinking there was an actual massive exodus of Hebrew slaves from Egypt and then they, you know, conquered Canaan. I'm thinking a lot about it more as this historical um, or a, a collective memory of a people that are trying to form an identity and that need these stories of liberation um, and, and all of these different things, right? So you're, I'm learning so much more about it when I think about it from the perspective of like, why, where would this memory have come from? What is it rooted in? What is it trying to do for this group of people at this certain time or mm-hmm. even later because they're, you know, in exile? And, and anyway, I'll, I'll stop here. Um, <laughs> no, please, this is great. I love it. I'm going to pad and pin out. Shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like... I, I don't have to tell you about that. You know those things. Uh, But it's just a very different reading of it. But when I was leaving evangelicalism, for me, I was taught in no uncertain terms that if one thing in the Bible is untrue, then it's all untrue. And like those were the words that were said. And so as soon as you start looking at stuff and just being like, I know, actually, we don't have archaeological evidence um, in the late Bronze Age for Joshua's conquest of Canaan. Right. Like, it doesn't exist. Right, right. Um, then you either have to start making up your own historical narrative um, or you then say, okay, well, according to the people that I listened to for spiritual guidance growing up my entire life said that if one thing's not true, none of it's true. Hmm. Um. So it was a very weird time for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, especially because now, I mean, like in the TikTok space, and I say TikTok because that's sort of where I I found a lot of this later on. Mm -hmm. And outside of TikTok as well, there's a large sort of deconstruction movement, which I'm sure you've seen lots of old white men talking about. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they're talking to and fro about it. Absolutely. Yep, to each other. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Not to any of us. No, no. Um, Couldn't do that. But at the time, there wasn't any of that. So I was just on my own doing a bunch of research. And when I would try to talk to people about it, they'd be like, okay. Um, because where I, so I live in the Bay Area, right? And yeah. so you either have the people that are very fundamentalist in your sort of insular little world. Yep. Or yep. you have a bunch of people that were like, duh, of course it's not true. Um, because <laughs> it's just such a diverse group of people. Um yeah. So, so it was interesting. And then to, 10 years later, find this sort of mass exodus of folks from the church. It's been a really interesting experience uh, for me because I'm like, oh, like, yeah, this is what I did 10 years ago. But it, right. it's cool to have that community and to sort of um, be able to engage in that way. Yeah, yeah. That is 
fascinating. So I, I got a few questions for you. I mean, in, in regards to that, I mean, you said, you know, you deconverted and whatnot. Like, how, what was your process of, of going through and, and, and reading some of this and really, cause you're, I mean, obviously, I mean, I've, I've spoken to a few people who have said, you know, once you start, you know, getting into it and you're just like, wait a minute, like there's, there's some, there's some missing pieces here. This isn't the complete story of, of what's going on. Um, so what was your process? Let me start there. What was your process of, of going through that? Like, I know, I think you had tweeted or something like that. You had, you know, you obviously you went to college and you, uh, you know, you got some graduate degrees and whatnot and, and how, what was, but, but yeah, what was the methodology if, if you will? So, uh, chaos. No, um, I did go, I did go to college, but I didn't study anything about the Bible. I studied economics and political science. All right. Um, and one thing that happened organically, uh, was that when I went to college, I went to a very, a small liberal arts college here in Oakland that is very liberal. And so I was interacting with people every day from different walks of life with different gender expressions, with different sexual orientations, with different religions, with all of these things. And I could not wrap my brain around the fact that all of these people were going to hell because of the way they were born. It just, it made absolutely no sense to me um, that a God who was all loving and all knowing um, and you know, compassionate and all of this stuff would allow all of these people who were genuinely good people and trying to do good in the world and trying to be kind, generous, compassionate people to burn in hell uh, because they were in love with someone of the same gender Mm -hmm. or, or didn't identify as the uh, gender they were born as. Right. Um, I hope I said that right, but it just, it just didn't make any sense to me. And so on top of that, I, my sort of specialty in political science was Middle Eastern affairs and especially like Syria and Iraq. And because Christianity in America is so deeply entangled with nationalism, Mm. it's hard to sit and study all of the damage that the U.S. has done as a political power and as a Christian nation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to reconcile that with anything you find in the gospel. And so these sort of competing ideas began to exist in my head. And on top of that, I started doing just some basic research on the four gospels. Mm-hmm. Um because I had always been taught these were four eyewitness accounts, yeah, right. independent sources. Right. And how could they all be wrong? Mm-hmm. What a line of shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Like the most basic study of these books mm-hmm. will tell you that all of our copies are anonymous. Uh, They weren't given their names until the second century. None of them were eyewitnesses. They're all written in advanced Greek and not layman's Aramaic. Right. (laughs) Um, And they're written at least 30 years after Christ died. And actually, our earliest New Testament writing is Paul, who never met Jesus. 
Uh, oh, I got problems with Paul, but keep going. Yes. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> Don't we all? Uh, actually, one of my co-hosts on the show, he has a whole merch brand that or merch line that just says cancel Paul. <laughs> uh, I love it already. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, I think Paul has a lot of interesting. There's a lot of interesting things that could be said about Paul, uh, but I also have a ton of problems with him. So, yes. Know whatever. Yeah. Um, but that was sort of as silly as it sounds, that moment was almost like revolutionary for me because mm-hmm. it was like, Oh, we actually, we don't have any independent sources. And actually the synoptic gospels use each other, right? We have Matthew and Luke using Mark and, and it's not even subtle. There's like entire spots that are just lifted and moved over, right? which is fine. But like, if you read the Gospels one t- or horizontally, I guess, sorry, vertically, I'm shape challenged. Uh, you see that, first of all, they don't all agree. And if you want to harmonize them, like so many evangelicals do, that's fine. But now you're writing a fifth gospel, according to you, uh, because it's not what any of them say. And so it's interesting because it it was really that moment that I went, oh my God, mm-hmm. I don't think anything that I thought I knew uh, is true. <laughs> um, or at least I can't trust that it's true. And because I grew up also in a church that was very much focused on like the end times and Jesus is coming back in your lifetime and you're going to be tortured and martyred for your faith. So was like, I was told that as a child, like, okay. Um, I started then looking into the book of Revelation oh, because boy. that okay. book yes. traumatized me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I grew up Seventh-day Adventist, so absolutely, oh yes. God. Yes. Yes. And as I started researching, it was like, yeah, the, the scholarly consensus is that this is a book about first century Rome. And it's just Jewish apocalyptic literature. And this is why it's written this way. And this is why the story arc is this way. And this is why there's so much sort of dramatic symbolism. And actually the symbolism can, or it echoes back to Daniel. Um, so I'm rambling now because this no, is the stuff that no, I love. No, 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 this is good. Keep going. <laughs> but so you, I started connecting these dots, right? And so then I hop back to Daniel. Mm-hmm. And all of these things that I had been taught were fulfilled prophecy from Daniel. I actually realized Daniel's written in like two parts. And it's not fulfilled prophecy. It's looking back <laughs> on what already happened. Um, so I just started putting these pieces together. And, and the way I did it, there's not like a coherent methodology I just started connecting the dots and going to whatever interested me the most. Um, And so for most of my early studies, well, just self-studies, but with lots of scholarly sources, was New Testament. And then recently I've been getting more into the Old Testament, not because I'm trying to, I don't believe it's a historical narrative anymore, obviously, but I think there's still so much that can be learned from it. Sure. Um, And like I said, I find it fascinating. I just don't, it just doesn't guide my life anymore. Right. Right. No, I, yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to write, to be that. I think for me, once I started studying, I was thinking back, I was just like, it was, it was the councils of Nicaea that I started like unpacking and unraveling. And, you know, cause I always had the question growing up, like, 
where did the Bible come from? And and for me, it was always told like it was this magical, you know, fifth dimensional text that was handed down from God to humankind. And and for I and I believe that for a long time, like, you know, especially the Bibles that had the words of Christ in red. I'm like, oh, shit, man, like this is goddamn like, OK, this is this is a real deal. Like some some motherfucker was actually written down like, all right, we're going to put this shit in red because that was Jesus talking right there, man. God damn. You know, so and once I started pulling those apart and, and finding out all of the books that were left out all of the prophets and folks who were writing at the time and had more even deeper connections with Jesus than Paul did and I was like well wait a minute and what about the women why is it all men that that was just a part of this and at that point everything just starts to fall apart right because then you just start to put things together and it's just like oh wait but we have such an ideological wall right i mean that we're all dealing with i mean you think about you know some of these you know private christian schools that make you sign these creeds that say the bible is the inerrant word of god (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah i mean you want to hear something funny so for three years i went to a private christian academy which was not it uh yeah it it, was it bothers me that they could even call it a school at all because effectively it was independent study. You go, you sit in a room with other kids, but you've done a test beforehand and you test into any number of levels for each subject. And then you just do your work individually every day. Now the school that I was a part of the curriculum was developed in the seventies by some Baptists in Texas. So you can imagine uh, how that's going now. There, I could speak for hours about all of the fucked up shit in these workbooks. <laughs> yeah. Hours. Um, but I will leave you with this. Uh, <laughs> their proof in my science workbook that evolution wasn't true was that the Loch Ness monster existed. Checkmate atheist. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> No, it was like the Loch Ness Monster is a dinosaur and the Loch Ness Monster still exists. Therefore, no evolution. Sense of it. But like there's a whole article in the New York Times about it. Uh, I thought maybe it was like a fever dream. But right. then I found that article right. and I was like, no, that's, that was literally what it said. OK, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that is beautiful. See, I, I love this. We can we can compare uh, story scars. I remember when I was a youth pastor and like I said, I grew up in Seventh Day Adventist and not only just Seventh Day Adventist, we added another layer, a black Seventh Day Adventist, which is a whole nother level. I mean, we're kind of a step away from black black Hebrew Israelites, like the like real kind of oh. fundamentalists and just we're just a step away, a step away. In some <laughs> cases, not, not even that. Um, and I remember I was working as a youth pastor and I, you know, we had all these kids cause I was also connected, uh, to young life at the time. And oh. so we kind of shared youth. And the real thing was that we were trying to secretly convert the young life kids, not just to Christianity, but also to seventh day Adventism. Right. So anyway, I, that's, that's a whole nother story right there, but the one true religion, the, the one true religion that, that absolutely, that, absolutely. That's, that's a, you know. Um, but I remember asking the pastor because he would always show up to my Bible studies to make sure I was teaching the word of God. And um, <laughs> he came in and, you know, he's sitting in the back and everything. And one of the kids had the question like, well, 
So I'm having a hard time here understanding like Genesis story. Like, wait a minute, if Adam and Eve, it was just them. Eventually they're going to be having all these kids and they going to have to have sex. And I was like, and I was stumped. And I was like, well, we got our pastor here. Pastor. <laughs> take it away. Take it right. Exactly. <laughs> and I shit you not. He said, well, you know, that's a great question, you know, and uh, yes, it's it's. Uh, but at the time, you know, God allowed uh, for, you know, for them to have you know, sexual relationships with brothers and sisters, you know, until the earth was populated. And I was like, like what? Well, I, mean, I mean, that's the argument we're making, right? Like incest. <laughs> um, okay. I mean, that's certainly an argument people make, but it's not a good one. <laughs> Yeah. So anyways, I, I just, yes, that was, that was, that was, that is, that has stuck with me through the years and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, it's the same way that Christians rationalize, you know, dashing babies heads on rocks. Yeah. And they're like, well, no, it's, you know, this or that, or it's war rhetoric or it's hyperbolic or it wasn't all of them or everybody was wicked. I mean, I actually had someone tell me that, um, that they're, genetics were corrupted and so that's why god needed them all to be killed and i can't I don't remember heard the that. Book and it's that is not even a step away from eugenics yeah. uh that, that is <laughs> right. like that is almost eugenics like maybe just keep that one to yourself right uh, right <laughs> we all have thoughts they don't all oh, have to come out of our mouth man like, <laughs> Well, that's just it. I mean, I think that's some of the crazy shit, right, that's been told. Like, and particularly to try to spackle up some of these holes, right? And you don't even do a yes. good job of spackling. Like, you just put the shit up on there, and you can still see the hole, but it's just like, hey, let's just not even look at it like that, right? And <laughs> be I, like, well, God has a plan. Right. I mean, for the all the people that got murdered? Like, right. okay? Right. And I'm like, man, like, okay, okay. So then you got to do creation 2.0 was like noah and that again you know you come back to it's like okay well at some point you know <laughs> some boy somebody's gonna have to lay with brother and sister so again and, and again i was just told that like i guess i've heard that that these were you know people that you know god they were their dna was just a little less than and god had to start over or whatever and uh the dinosaurs came from the giants having sex with animals and so that's where dinosaurs came from and god had to wipe all the dinosaurs out in the flood and that's how that's how the dinosaurs someone dead. really said that absolutely this is what i grew up probably until i was probably like nine or ten that Mercy. i actually didn't question it i mean why would you question bestiality right, right. uh well i mean like so i regularly regularly have people justify the flood to me by saying like, well, the Nephilim had sex with humans. I'm like, you're literally arguing to me that like half giant angels right. having sex with humans right. was justification for the flood. Like that is your argument. Okay. I'm going to see myself out. Like, because <laughs> right. I don't know how to like, there's no, how do you, that's not an argument. That's like, a, okay, well, uh, ogres are the reason for the flood. Right. It's okay. <laughs> like, yes. So how do you navigate some of these conversations? I really give it to you, 
Jess. I I, I really do. I well, first of all, I mean, I'm banned on Twitter, uh, which we, we will not get into <laughs> too much at this point. Um, but uh, it, you know, I give it to you in terms of just having some of these conversations with just complete idiots. Um, <laughs> I'm not very nice about it. No, you and you shouldn't be. I I think. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, like, but particularly woman be online. I mean, how have you navigated some of these spaces theologically? I mean, in terms of just dealing with the crazies, like, you know, cause people right there, you know, they're convinced that this is right and they'll take action for it. Like, how have you navigated that and, and engaged with some of those, some of those things, both online and in person? So, oh goodness. Um, yeah so i've had to learn that sometimes it's not worth engaging um yeah so there's certainly boundaries that i'll set where it's like this is not going to go anywhere all it's going to do is raise my blood pressure um and so part of what i've tried to do is bring attention to people or issues or um whatever's happening so that the people in the community can see and be aware of it, right? So, I mean, Mm -hmm. most recently there was this whole thing with Robert Price, who we all found out was a raging racist. Um, And I actually didn't interact with him at all. I just put out the information and said like, okay, make your own decisions, but everybody should know that if we're gonna be publicly associating with this person, these are his views. Oftentimes when I engage with people online and they're clearly bigoted and they clearly aren't going to listen, um, <laughs> I just make fun of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I am not going to meet bigotry with kindness ever. Yeah. You can find somebody else to do that, but it won't be me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because when we treat some of these ideas like they're equal, we treat these ideas like they're equal. And if you were going to sit there and defend slavery, that is not right. an opinion that I respect. And I don't think that we should be treating it as equal. This is not a, I like coffee. You don't like coffee. This is, I don't think it's right to own people and you're justifying owning people. I don't want you on my platform. I'm not want to engage with you in a way that makes you think I respect that opinion. Um, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Uh, so, I mean, it, now in certain situations um, where people really are interested in having sort of conversations and learning, I'm more than happy to do that in a respectful fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're someone that's pushing misogynistic, transphobic, homophobic ideologies, I just want to make you uncomfortable. Because you are pushing <laughs> harmful narratives that are actually hurting people. Right. Yeah. And they're never yeah. going to affect you because you're a straight cis white person. So I just want you to have to think twice before you become spewing that nonsense anywhere in public. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the thing is, these people that's, that do this stuff and do it so vitriolically don't respond to okay, well, look at these, look at these facts, you know, let's have a nice conversation about it. They don't, and they're not there to learn. Um, so I, uh, 
you know, just tell them I'm on my way to their dad's house. No, I, <laughs> sorry. Um, but, uh, but I have had lots of really good theological discussions with people, um, mostly people that would probably identify as progressive Christians because their whole I- entire identity is not wrapped up in the Bible being historically accurate. It's almost impossible to have conversations with people that need the Bible to be 100% inerrant because all they're trying to do is prove that. And I've been there. You can't unless you do mental gymnastics and like <laughs> twist yourself into like hermeneutic pretzels. You just can't. Right. Um, and so it's, it's not super productive. Um, also, I have incredibly thick skin. So okay. I'm not easily in- insulted by people. <laughs> like you could say whatever they want. Uh that's yeah, I don't uh, know if that answered the question. No, 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 that's that's on point. I think uh yeah, I, I like I said, that's why I give it to you because I was like, man, I when I see those little responses from people, I just I get I get so much anxiety that develops in me, man. I'm just like, ooh, and as a person who I fight by myself that deals with anxiety and, and depression, I'm just like, ooh, Lord have mercy. So that's why I just post <laughs> memes on my uh on my Love my it. personal Instagram account. Um but I, you know, but I do think it's interesting because I do enjoy some of the conversations that you have. In fact, I was just looking at your, uh, your, you know, your feed right now. And, uh, what are some of the things that you've engaged with, particularly with, as it pertains to like purity culture, I think about Hillsong, I think about, um, the, you know, the, the, the line, right. Of, of cover-ups that have come out of, you know, that we're starting to see that, that all of us knew were happening, right. That all of yep. us knew was, was going on, but there was always kind of overlooked that, you know, I remember my partner before we got married, she was, she was in young life too. That's how we met, you know, so I was like, Oh, meet your wife in young life. And I was like, ah. but nevertheless, she was at a camp and her regional director was having this like open affair with another woman and all this stuff. And she was just like, wait a minute, like, we're not going to address this. And like, people were like, well, Whatever you tell me, I'm going to have to like take action on. So I don't know if you want to really want to tell me because I don't necessarily want to have to take action on that. I mean, so we knew this shit was happening. But have you engaged in some of that? How have you navigated some of that just, you know, in, in your own life? I'm sure you were hit with purity culture at some point oh boy. in your Christian <laughs> religious journey. Yeah, I mean, uh, the whole time. Um, <laughs> so right. I mean, growing up in like the 2000s in the church purity culture was huge yeah. um and i was actually taught like you shouldn't even date you should do courtship and your parents should be there with you when you're like sitting in a living room with someone um because that's how they met until you get married <laughs> right exactly like your first kiss should be when you get married and it's like first of all that's going to set you up for a lifetime of failure. I don't right. know. Maybe it works for some people, but, um, as someone who's been out of the church for a long time now, like I can't imagine not having any physical interaction with someone getting married and then just hoping for the best that we were compatible. Um, it's like, it, you just can't win in that situation. Um, that being said, like, yeah. So, so I spent a lot of my life actually quite stressed that my body was bad and that, uh, my, any kind of like attraction I had was bad. My physical desires, bad. Um, and not only that, my body was bad for men because Mm -hmm. if they saw it, it could cause them to sin. Um, and not only does this infantilize men, um, it 
really stresses women out because they feel inherently bad. And when you grow up in evangelicalism and maybe some other um, sex as well, you're taught already that you're born bad. Yeah. So it's just this compounding idea of just being awful. Um, and so, yeah, I think especially as a woman, you know that there's lots of weirdness going on because anytime there are men in power that are interested in keeping their power, uh, especially, especially white men <laughs> and it's not, <laughs> right. it's not only them, but because we live in a, a country that is largely dominated by white men in power, um, you see it so much more frequently. Um, and so it's not that I was unaware that, these things were happening. I mean, I might not have been able to pinpoint and say like, oh, this is happening here, but you just, just kind of know, right? Like when all of this stuff started coming out, none of it surprised me. So I think recently a lot of stuff has come out about John MacArthur uh, (laughs) and how he has protected abusers and these stories of women being raped at the master's university and then going to the elders and effectively having them try to cover it up Um, one woman reported, uh, being encouraged to marry the person that raped her. Um, right. And all of this comes out and the, I want to say the craziest part, but it's not, it's completely predictable is all of the men trying to cover for John MacArthur and women too, but largely it's the men that I'm seeing or attacking the person that wrote the article that put this information out there. Um, And, or saying things like, you know, we have to let God deal with it. Uh, No, actually, (laughs) you don't have to let God deal with sexual abuse. Um, You can let the police deal with it or somebody, (laughs) right? Like somebody, like, I'm not a huge fan of police, but like. I'm with you. Obviously, these pastors aren't doing anything except for covering it up. So, no, God's not doing anything about it. Um, and even with this whole, I, th- I think it's Hillsong, if I'm remembering correctly, um, when all of this started coming out, there was a couple of sort of um, private meetings that were leaked. And the way, because Hillsong is so big and there's churches everywhere, they were having a private meeting at a church. Like, I forget exactly where it was, but it was not the main church. And these people were actually saying like, you know, we just need to pray for our pastors and thank God for them and yada, yada. And, you know, basically just don't talk about it and just take it to God. Um, Not saying anything about the victims, not saying anything at all, really about accountability. Um, And so, yeah, that's a conversation I've definitely engaged in because accountability is incredibly important. Um, especially if there's going to be any kind of healing and all this is really doing is re-victimizing the victims Yeah. because not only were they disregarded the first time, now they're being disregarded and actively shit on again. Uh, and so it is wild to me to watch all of these people sit around and sort of navel gaze about why so many people are leaving the church. Meanwhile, we have all these stories of abuse and alle- or allegations of abuse uh, coming out, and nobody's willing to deal with them. Right. They just want to protect the pastor. Right. Um, 
and like the call is coming from inside the house. Like, why, why do you think? <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm, and I'm definitely engaged in those conversations. Um, I think they're incredibly important. And I think often because we've gotten so used to people sort of disregarding them or ignoring them or refusing to engage with them, um, it can feel sometimes like a fool's errand. But I think something that I've noticed, and this was just came from sharing different parts of my deconstruction journey, is that even if only one other person sees that you said this, um, it can help them feel seen or validated or heard or like they're not alone. Um, And I think that's really important in these situations. Do I think that by me talking about these issues with John MacArthur that it's going to fix it? No, probably not. But do I think that me talking about these issues with John MacArthur might help validate a victim of sexual assault that hears that people care, that hears that someone's talking about it, that hears that they're believed? Um, Yeah, I think that can happen. And I'm much more interested in that um, than just saying, like throwing my hands up and saying, you know, oh, well, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it, and it's so complex, right? I always tell my students, like, you know, any advancement, any progress we've made on race, uh, gender and human sexuality is easily a century behind that. Um, oh, yeah. And you know what I'm saying? I mean, because there's still so many folks, and I'll say this as a cishet male, black male, um, that there's still a lot of men who still feel women, right, or need to be in the house, that men are the only breadwinner. They should be the only breadwinner and are responsible for, quote unquote, the, you know, this this idea and notion of leadership in a household. Um, I know when I first got married, that was something that I struggled with because I because that wasn't raised like that. Right. I was raised by two women. And so uh, I have very little male interaction in, you know, in my life. So there wasn't that sense of like, you know, what I'm saying like male patriarchy. I'm just like, well, no, I was raised yeah. by two women. Like, hold up now. Um but anyways, all that to say, I mean, it just the complexities of it. Um, what? It, well, let me ask this. I mean, a more pragmatic question. How did you navigate or navigate? I mean, I guess the pandemic's still going on, but how did you navigate the pandemic? At least here in Chicago, it's like, woo, we won just in term for midterm elections. The mass <laughs> mandates. It doesn't matter that the numbers are starting to tick yeah. back up, you know. Ah, you yeah, know. we've just decided it's over. So it's it's over. It's done. We won. USA, <laughs> USA. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, how did you yeah, how did you how did you navigate the uh, you know, and engage with the with the pandemic given, you know, two years of just kind of crazy madness? Yeah. Yeah. So before the pandemic, probably about a year before the pandemic, I actually started my own business. I love it. Um, and I'm fortunate that that business has me outside a lot. So for me, my work didn't change a ton. Of course I made changes, more sanitization, masks, things like that. Um, but I work with dogs. So I love it. there's not a lot of risk of transmission <laughs> for me, which has been really beneficial. Yeah. Um, also, I mean, like, for a while when we were really locked down, uh, I mean, people weren't even like, there was a time when people thought they couldn't even go outside. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. yeah. It was, yeah. And so it was like my way of getting or it allowed me to get outside. I, uh, I wouldn't say I'm an exercise fanatic, but like I use exercise to help with my anxiety and depression in conjunction with, you know, like medication and all that. 
Um, but so, so that was really good for me and it allowed me to keep working without a ton of interruption. I mean, there's some fluctuation, but, um, overall it wasn't too bad. Um, I also am lucky to live, like I said, in the Bay area. So people have taken it pretty seriously. Okay. Um, I know there's lots of places where people are still like railing against the vaccine. Pretty much everybody I know is like, give me my next booster. Right. Um, right. <laughs> I'll take as many as you want to give me. Uh, <laughs> right. um, and so I think part of what was hardest for me was losing a lot of my social interaction because mm. I used to coach CrossFit at a couple oh, of gyms okay. and I would also be in the gym a lot. And so that was, I got most of my social interaction that way. And so when gyms kind of closed down for a while, you know, we did zoom classes, but you're still losing a lot of that just mm -hmm. sort of organic interaction. Yep. And then eventually it was like, we're not even doing zoom classes. Um, and so, so that was the most difficult part for me. And this sort of interesting thing uh, was that at the same time, TikTok started picking up, right? <laughs> right, and right. I, when I first heard about this app, uh, so let me back up. I'm the oldest of five girls. Okay, so okay. my sisters were like sending me videos from TikTok. And I was like, what the hell is TikTok? <laughs> um, and... They were like, yeah, it's like a, you know, you post like little videos. And, and I was like, can't you do that on Instagram? And they're like, yeah, but it's different. And I'm like, so it's like Vine. And they're like, what is Vine? And I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is Vine? Yes. Get out of my face. No. Uh, <laughs> and so for the longest time, I was like, I'm like, I'm too old for this children's app. Um, and But eventually, eventually I succumbed to their pressure and I got on TikTok. Uh, and that's actually how I found this like pretty big deconstruction community. Okay. And I feel, I always feel weird talking about this, but like my TikTok in a year went from zero to, I forget what I'm at right now, but like 265,000 followers, something yeah, you like up that. There, like, girl, I was looking at that like, like, damn, all right, come on now. <laughs> and it's bizarre to me because like, it's just, it's bizarre to me, but um, it's allowed me a lot of really cool opportunities and it's given me this like way to interact socially with people that I think the pandemic removed from a lot of us. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of people sort of left the church at the start of the pandemic, not because they wanted to, but because they couldn't go. And then they spent all this time away from church, sort of thinking about it, finding these different things online and then sort of like reassessing a lot of their beliefs. At least that's what I've heard from folks. And so it's also been a lifeline for a lot of people who are seeking community or answers or just feeling very alone because they live in the Bible belt and nobody around them, they can't talk to anybody around them about this stuff. Right. Um, and so that's been, I would say one way as kind of silly as it is that I've navigated the pandemic is engaging in a lot more social interactions online. Whereas before I just sort of was online, you know, I had Instagram, I had my Facebook or whatever, but it wasn't, it was for people I knew I right. doing a ton on there. Um, and now I, God, I live on the internet. I feel like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it though. I love it. I love it. Cause I think, uh, you know, you've, and I mean, and I found you through Twitter just through my profane faith handle. And, uh, then when I, I you know, like you said, when, when I looked up, uh, your TikTok, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is 
Awesome. Um, because, yeah, I mean, I, and I think it provides, right? I mean, it provides that that conversation. I mean, I'm still trying to figure TikTok out. Like, I'm like, wow, this, this is just kind of, I will claim my Gen X old self. Like, I am, <laughs> I am, I am limited. I barely understand Instagram, let alone, you know, how to, how to set up something. But nevertheless, you're right. And now, well, let me ask this. This is just more, um, it's a curious question. It's like, have they monetized it at least for you with that many followers? Will they at least give yeah. you some, some cash, cut you a check? Yeah, so they do, but it's uh, they have the creator fund. Um, most of us don't really know how they sort of decide how much they pay. I think it's somehow based on views and engagement. Right. Um, and so, like, I make a little bit of money off of it, but like nothing to write home about. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> nothing at all. Um, I think for people that want to potentially make money on the internet, uh, probably the way to do it is like brand deals and maybe YouTube and all that stuff. I right. wouldn't know, <laughs> but that's what I've heard from people. Yeah. No, 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 no. I, it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing. Cause it's like, you know, it's like studying the internet and, you know, media technology and, and whatnot. And just, you know, what, what, what develops an audience, what doesn't platforms, <laughs> how our data is being mined, all that stuff, right? right. It's, just, it's fascinating in the era that we're living in right now um, because you're right. You can be standing next to somebody at a store and you think, oh, man, this is this person just, you know, just getting a thing of milk. Um, and they can. They can be this, you know, like this huge, like, you know, what they call the Internet famous and stuff. But I just I figured I'd ask because I was like, oh, man, that's that's uh, that's some good stuff. So what what do you what are you currently working on? Like you know, is there like you know, is that just like you said you live on the internet, or is there like you say you got the dogs thing going on and everything like that? Um, are you pushing towards a book? Is that coming up next? Uh, you know, the funny you should ask. Um, a lot of people have been asking me if I plan on writing a book. Um, and and I actually just sat down with someone the other night and just sort of roughly sketched out what I might like to do. So, so no hard plans yet. Um, but thinking about putting together something that's like what I wish I had known when I, when I was deconstructing. Okay. Um, it's certainly, sorry. It's certainly, Hey, Mika. Oh, Mika. Seriously, it's all good. You can you can always hear mine bark. I always tell that it's uh, on my podcast. Like, like you go, you hear my dogs at some point. Yeah. Um. So it certainly wouldn't be like a comprehensive. This is everything you ever need to know. Um. But kind of just like a lifeline for someone who might be just starting out. And I would hope to uh, include many other voices outside of mine, and just maybe have it sort of parts of it maybe be like an edited volume. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's sort of just a, a pipe dream of mine at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mika. Other than that, um, so I've, I've been sort of all over YouTube recently on a bunch of different channels. Um, I plan to continue to do that. I have a show with a couple of my friends, the Unholy Trinity. Yes. Um, so that's that's a lot of fun. Um, what else? What else? What else? I'm still doing, you know, still working with dogs. 
Um, oh, uh, I will be on a book launch team for Kevin Nye's book, uh, Grace Will Lead Us Home, A Christian Call to End Homelessness. And I am also speaking on a panel at the Better Conference coming up. It's being put on by the Atheist Network Group. Uh, yeah, I think that might be it. And maybe some upcoming uh, streams with you and... yeah. Yeah, I look. You a friend. I look for. I look forward to that. Um. So what? And, and so what? Um. Oh man, like I said, I've, I've got like a dozen questions going through my mind, but I, I want to be conscious of time here. But <laughs> what? Um. You know, I mean, because people always say it's like, oh, you know, if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't have any hope. I wouldn't have. You know, I would just be depressed. But I'm just like, well, I don't know. I'm rethinking all of that. Right. It's just like I, as we think about what does that look like. I mean. Don't get me wrong. I am a very pessimistic person by nature. I say that over and over and over. Like I just, I'm a glass half empty kind of guy. Yeah. Um, but what you know, what what gives you hope? What gives you pause as we enter, you know, into the 2020s? Um, you know, and and it what looks like the tail end of this pandemic. I don't know. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, I mean, just with all the things going on, especially you know this this whole war in Ukraine. God. That yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so how many sentences can I start off like this? When I was growing up in the church, um, <laughs> yes, you were, I was very much taught that this is not our home. Um, this body is basically something to be survived, not celebrated. Yep. Um, and basically we were all waiting for death. Yeah. Which I know that sounds really bad, but when you look at what's being taught, it's very much that way. Um, you know, heaven is our home. We're just here for a temporary amount of time. And I think this is incredibly dangerous because it absolves you from uh, responsibility to do anything to make this world a better place, right? Of course, Christians will teach you that you should be feeding the poor, or housing the sick, or, or doing whatever. But I ask, like, how many of them are doing that without an ulterior motive? Like, how many of them are doing that without trying to witness? Right. How many of them are taking care of homeless, transgender teenagers um, without telling them that they're wrong? Right. So, like, is it really making the world a better place if you're out there feeding them but also telling them that they're bad? Right. I don't know. Right. right? Like, um. And, you know, when it comes to things like, for instance, war in Ukraine or climate change, um, when you have this very end times oriented mind, I know a lot of Christians are seeing this war in Ukraine and thinking like basically it's ushering in the end times and they don't feel compelled to do anything about it because they think that God's doing it effectively, right? Like I've seen this and it's infuriating um or things like climate change like well you know they don't feel compelled to, to work on it because they literally believe the world's coming to an end so like who cares right um now obviously it's not all of them but that's largely what i learned as i was growing up uh, in so many words and i think i actually have much more hope since leaving religion because mm. I feel more of a responsibility to my fellow man than I used to. Right. And 
yes, a lot of things going on suck. And I'm not going to sugarcoat that in any way whatsoever. But also when you're not thinking this doom and gloom mindset of, of this is God's plan and therefore we just need to let it happen, you have the freedom to actually work for a better world. Um, even if that's just your your own little sort of the world around you, right? Like there's maybe limited things that I can do to help people in Ukraine. There are some things I can donate. I can, you know, write to my politicians. I can do those things. But also now, like in my own sort of smaller world, I'm able to offer actual help, actual love or actual whatever to people that need it without this sort of pressure to tell them also you need Jesus, right? Like mm-hmm. I can just take them as they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't lie and say that like, I haven't been incredibly disappointed in people's general response to the pandemic. This idea that like, you know, these masks are infringing on my rights um, shows a complete lack of care for folks who are um, immunocompromised. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, or elderly or really young and can't get the vaccine, like stuff like this. And so I think it's just, you know, there's lots of things to be disappointed about in people and the world. Um, God, that sounds pessimistic. Uh, <laughs> no <laughs> way. I'm here for all of it. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not, the, nothing, I'm not a realist, uh, but yeah. I do also think that like, we can work now to actually make the space around us a bit better. Um, and that's sort of what gives me hope when I see people doing that, right? When I see all of these people, I asked people the other day, um, what is something that you were absolutely forbade to do mm-hmm. when you were growing up in the church, but now you are free to do it and you do it all the time. And the number one, answer from people was I'm able to love and accept LGBTQIA plus people without any issues. Um, or they themselves find them there are in that community and they're free to love who they love. Um, and so I think like just that on its own gives me a lot of hope mm. that like people are leaving these very sort of rigid mindsets and they're coming and saying like, Oh, we can take each other as we are. Um, because I think that's healing on its own for both the person who was taught to hate and the person who was hated. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done in the middle to repair that. Um, but yeah, I think just that's the kind of stuff that gives me hope is just watching people's minds change because of, people can change their minds, then we can change the world. Mm. I, well, I'm with that. I'm with that. I like that. I like that a lot. That's good stuff. Um, you, you know, I, yeah, there's, there is some things, I mean, right. And I, it, again, I tell my students, I try to tell myself as well. It's like, man, you know, take a news break. Like, you know, there's so much stuff that yeah. just comes at you, you know, it's easy just to be like, you know, it's a mean world syndrome, right? It's like, Oh man, right. it's just, everything's just coming to an end. Um, but uh, real quick, last question here. You know, any thoughts? Easter, at least at the time we're recording this, it's, uh, you know, the Easter weekend and, uh, <laughs> you know, rose on the third day. Yeah. Any deconstructionist I mean, I just, thoughts? 
the number one is like, how did y'all get three days and we're going Friday to Sunday? But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's always sort of my like, what's going on here? Um, <laughs> gosh, I, I hope everyone enjoys the holiday with their family. Um, <laughs> yeah, or with whoever. But like my deconstructionist thoughts, it's. I listened to part of a debate the other day on the resurrection, um, Ehrman versus Lacona. Oh. And God, sorry, I'm going to sound so cynical. I just can't believe it's 2022 and we're still debating. Um, like, like we can historically prove a man rose from the dead or did not rise from the dead. Like this is, if it happened is a miracle and an aberration of nature. So how are we still debating it? Um, yeah, everyone that loves this Easter tradition is going to hate me after this. But like, I also always have found it super weird that the God that controls the entire universe created everything requires this incredibly barbaric blood sacrifice in order to to, to redeem sins when he could have literally picked anything. <laughs> uh, so anyway, happy Easter. <laughs> <laughs> right. Enjoy your chocolate. Uh, <laughs> yes. Sorry. But I didn't offend too many people. Oh my gosh! No, no, no. That's why I wanted to ask. I was just like, yeah, I got, uh, yeah. It's it's interesting. So I, that's why I had to ask because I, I, my, I personally have never necessarily been that big into Easter and just in general and holidays. Just my own yeah. personal thing. But you know, I had to act that way when I was definitely in the uh, the pastorate and you know go yeah. around telling people you know besides Happy Sabbath, uh, oh, he is risen. And it's like. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm just probably going to stay at home and like hang out. Yeah, I'm not a huge holiday. I love Halloween, and I there think that's go. because I wasn't allowed to celebrate it for so long. Oh yeah, but yeah, I'm not. Otherwise, I'm not like huge on holidays. So, wow. Yes, I know. I, I was just thinking about Halloween. I was like, yes, that was that was such a devil's day, right? It's like, oh, you know, just get together and pray. Then the, then the church would try to do some some crazy shit and be like, well, just come dressed here and we'll pray. And I'm like, oh, like, we'll open stop. our trunks and there'll be candy. Right. Like, okay. oh my gosh. Well, yeah. Well, Jessica, where can folks uh, find you? Uh, this has been, an, I, I love having you on and, and I'm definitely got to get you back. And I, I hope this is the start of a very great, long uh, virtual friendship. Hopefully we meet someday at face to face. But uh, yeah, where can folks find you if they want to bring you out and, you know, uh, pay you and, 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 you know, get you, get you some of those brands, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yes, please. <laughs> well, thank you having me I, i've really enjoyed this conversation and i would love to to come back anytime um you can find me on tiktok at queen of the heathens you can find me on instagram at queen of heathens the um o and of is a zero have an instagram i think it's queen of the heathens <laughs> i try to stay consistent yes i love um, it as much as i can and you can find me on facebook at jessica hq okay um i'm a boomer at heart so i still have my facebook um, <laughs> or you can email me at queen of the heathens one at gmail.com. So right. feel free to hit any of those links. I love doing podcasts and YouTube channels and all that stuff. So I'd love to, to meet some new folks. Absolutely. When, as always, I'll put all these in the show notes, check them out. Uh, all those links, whiteoutchpodcast.com and profane faith. Um, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And, and I, I love that we were able to connect and you responded. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. This has been a pleasure.